you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant, and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the ark of the covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark, while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout, then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about at once. And they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on. And they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once, and returned into the camp. So they did for six days. On the seventh day they rose early, at the dawn of day, and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priest had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. All right, all right. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How are we all doing, City on a Hill? We're good. Great to be here. God has brought us together. We've got the Bible. We're going to dive into that now. So encouraged just to hear how uh, people are coming together in God's Word. So thankful for this church. I love you guys and really count it a joy and privilege uh, to serve as the pastor here uh, and to unpack this incredible book. A series in the book of Joshua. Uh, we are at week four in the book of Joshua, and it is, as we've already heard, a story of God's power and His faithfulness. It's a story about courage. It's a story about strength. Uh, it's a story about faith over fear. 
as I was preparing for this week, uh, I was reminded of a leap of faith uh, that my daughter and I took uh, some years ago now. Uh, We were holidaying on uh, northern beaches of Sydney, and my daughter, who was about 11 at this stage, uh, we found this cliff face. Uh, that was about 10 meters high, 8 to 10 meters high, looking down into this water below. And uh, other people were jumping there, and it looked amazing, but just the height, it was so incredibly intimidating. And I don't want to embarrass anyone in this story, but one of us was freaking out. (laughs) After a pep talk from Summer, my daughter, I finally found the courage. And I launched on in, and it was amazing, and my daughter launched on in, and it was amazing, and the more we jumped, the more confidence we found, the more joy we had, we were, you know, high-fiving, we were loving life, and we walked all the way home that afternoon, uh, so excited about what we achieved, and of course, when we get home, Ness and our other kids, I've got four kids, the other kids hear all this excitement and towers of jumping, and they want to see it for themselves, and so uh, we grab the kids, we get the bathers on, and we walk all the way back up the road towards this cliff face uh, and they watch as we jump in and they watch Summer jump in and they watch me jump in and there's crowds there and they're cheering and it's just going great. But then I get out of the water and I see my youngest son, Jacob, crying. Right, he's crying. Now, Jacob's now 11, and he's pretty much as tall as me, which is not so hard. Uh, But at the time, he was just six years old. Uh, He was probably up to my knee, and he's like, he's crying. I'm, Jacob, why are you crying? He says, because mom won't let me jump off the cliff. (laughs) I'm like, oh. Uh, I know dad wants to see their son crying like this, and so I have a quick chat with Vanessa, and we talk it through, and she agree, we agree together that it's okay for six-year-old Jacob to jump off this 10-meter cliff, providing I'm near him. So I come up to Jacob. He's still crying. I'm like, Jacob, guess what? You're allowed to jump off the cliff. And immediately, he jumps out of the fetal position. He's, you know, he's Tears are stopped, and he's jumping for joy, and he's pumped. He's so excited. And so he races ahead with just joy and enthusiasm. He races up the path. He goes up to the top of the cliff face. There's a crowd of people there, and then he stops. (laughs) And then he walks over to the edge of this cliff face, and he looks down the drop all the way to the water below. He looks at the water below. He looks back at me and says, Dad, do I have to? Right, And you can see the nervousness in his eyes, but he's determined. Uh, we talk about it, and with the help of the crowd, we count him down, and he takes that leap of faith. Proud dad moment. Great moment. I share it with you because to me, it's... It, it captures so much of what life is all about. By show of hands, who's ever stood on that cliff face facing that leap of faith in your life? Right? Absolutely. There's times in our life where we're like, man, I want to jump into this. Man, I want to leap into this. But isn't it a paradox that you're wanting to do it, but at the same time, your mind, your heart, your head, those fears begin to circle. Right? Now, it could be the, the possibility of, of launching into a new career or maybe taking on a new big role at work. Uh, It could be trying a new skill or standing up and talking before a crowd of people. It could be, I don't know, you meet that cute girl or that cute guy and you sit up in agony trying to work out, how am I going to find the courage to cross that dance floor and say hi, right? 
life is full of these terrifying moments where we're caught in that paradox of stepping out and fear. And of course, this is so very true for the church. Those who consider themselves a part of the church, those who are part of God's people, we know this tension because we walk in this tension all the time, right? We want to be obedient. We want to worship Jesus with all that we have. We want to be bold with our faith in our workplace, in our university, in our home. We want to be committed to Jesus, and yet at the same time, we're met with fear. Fear of rejection. Fear of failure. Fear of getting it wrong. We, we find ourselves questioning who we are and asking, do I have to? Throughout this series, we've been looking at this theme of faith over fear. Today is the moment of decision. Today is the moment of decision. It's been 40 long years for Joshua and the people of God. 40 long years of anticipation, of wandering, of preparation... They have now entered into the land of promise. But this is the moment of decision because here in this chapter, in this moment, they face the towers of Jericho. God's people have been to this place before and they ran in fear. What will define God's people today? What will their choice be? Will they run in fear or leap forward in faith? If you've got a Bible handy, you're going to want to grab it. This is going to be an epic, epic chapter that's going to fuel your faith today. It's going to encourage you today. Um, even as I preach, let me just encourage you to be praying that that would be so for the person sitting next to you, the person to your left, to your right, for your own heart. Lord, would you move in power today that we might be a people that step out in faith. Three things, three insights I want to share with you as we navigate this together. Here's the first word I encourage you to trust God. I want you to trust God even when it feels like you're going in circles. Trust God even when it feels like you're going in circles. So, Story picks up, verse 1. Now, Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given you Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around that city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. So here we find ourselves with Joshua and the men of Israel standing on the outside of the city. Jericho is the first city beyond the River Jordan. And it's not a particularly large city, but it was known for, found to be a strong fortress, a strong fortress, impossible to bring down, huge walls, uh, a towering uh, towers, thick, uh, an army inside, there's no there, mighty men of valor, mighty men, strong army, fortress. Uh, and you'll note in verse one that the city, the writer says, the city is shut up inside and out. 
right? Like a large safe made of thick steel that's locked away in the belly of a bank. This fortress city is impossible to get in. It is shut inside and outside. And what is perhaps most striking, however, to me in this scene is not so much the strength of the walls or the size of Jericho's army, but the command that God gives to Joshua. Standing in the valley, right? I want you to picture yourself there. Standing in the valley with Joshua, you're there, you're looking up at this towering fortress. Joshua hears the voice of the Lord, and what does the Lord say? Joshua, I want you to do a lead a parade around the city. Now, can we be real for a moment? When it comes to military strategy, a parade around the city doesn't make a lot of sense. If I'm writing for Hollywood, I'm looking at this like, no, 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 no. I need Joshua on a horse riding before his men. I need Joshua to give a heroic speech, a bit of blue paint across his face. And then I need those men to raise the swords and then I want them to charge into battle. There's smoke, there's fire. It's all coming down. But this ain't Hollywood. (laughs) This is the Bible. This is God's word. And he says, Joshua, I want you to walk around the city. And what do we do after that? Well, you're going to come back the next day. And I want you to, again, walk around the city. And then on the third day, guess what? I want you to do the same thing once more. In fact, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, each day, I want you to lead a walk around the city. And then on the seventh day, we're going to mix things up. I don't want you just to walk around the city once. You're going to walk around it seven times. Uh, If you are into power walking, um, that was big in the 80s, wasn't it? Did we remember those years? Right? Who loves a good walk? Right? The power walkers love it. You know, fluoro headbands, getting their steps up. I mean, this is a dream passage for you. Right? You can just justify all your walking and movements on this text alone. Uh, But for a group of blokes who've been sharpening their swords for war, come on, this makes no sense. It's even more bizarre when you consider that Joshua tells them that they need to do this walkathon without saying a word. You're getting ready for battle. I just want you to walk and don't say a word. That doesn't make any sense. I, uh, I used to play um, football as a young kid and uh, up into my early adult years. And the pre-game workup is huge. Right? Like before you cross that white line, you're not just talking about where players are going to be. You're amping each other up. So there's a lot of like back slapping and come on, man, switch on, let's go, let's go. Right? Uh, And there's even these exercises where you get the guys in a huddle and, and, and and, and you run on the spot and someone calls out a number and then you shout that number as you run at the top of your voice and you you just like make this loud cry and you do this not only to amp yourself up but to intimidate the enemy who's on the other side of the locker rooms. Right? That's a typical, normal way to G yourself up and get ready for battle. But when it comes to Joshua, they're told to do the exact opposite. 
No taunting, no screaming, just a quiet, long walk. I don't know about you, but as I look at this scene, I can't help but wonder what the king of Jericho is thinking when he looks out at Joshua and this man doing laps. I mean, this is the king of an incredibly strong city. He's got his mighty men of valor assembled for war. They're lined up at every turn. They've got their barrels of hot tar ready to pour out. They've got their swords, which are sharpened. And here's Joshua walking laps. And in case you forgot, Joshua ain't young. I know the dude in our trailer clip looks like 23 or something like that. Biblically, historically, Joshua is like 82 at this point. Yeah. Super really, 82. The guy's not like, this is not Thor with huge arms marching around and thumping feet, right? This is Grandpa Joe. That's what they probably called him. Grandpa Joe with one of these walking frames, right? He had to stop every like five minutes just to check his pacemaker. Like, it's a long walk for Joshua. So they must be thinking, what is going on? Be really, really honest with yourself at this point. Which side at this point in the story do you want to be on? Right? King of Jericho, towering walls, mighty men of valor, Grandpa Joe, and a retirement village walking lapse. Right? Whose side do you want to be on? Of course, what we've seen throughout this series and what you've got to hear today is that when it comes to God's power. He ain't looking for military strength and strategy. He's looking for people of faith, women of faith, men of faith, a people, a generation that will look to him and trust him, even when it feels like we're walking in circles, right? I know that the call to um, faith is more than intellectual assents or agreement with a set of theological truths. What you're going to see in Joshua time and time again, quite literally here, is that faith is not just a talking, it's a, it's a walking the walk as well. You don't just talk the talk, you've got to walk the walk. He's obedient at this point. He's trusting God. I could be wrong here, but in my experience... Most are happy to obey God's word when it lines up with our way of thinking. Most of us are happy to do what God says if it fits our agenda and it makes sense to our understanding. If it does, then we say, all right, Lord, I'm in, I'll do this. But of course, the real test of obedience comes when the call doesn't quite align with our way of thinking when it's uncertain, unclear, when it doesn't seem to make sense. The real test of obedience comes when we're told to go this way, but even our flesh and our body is pulling us that way. I can't help but think that some of the guys who are walking these laps must have been scratching their head going, what are we doing, Joshua? Are you really sure the Lord said that we are to just walk laps? 
You sure you just didn't have a bad kebab or something? Right? You know that phrase, we're going in circles? Joshua, we're literally going in circles. But this is what sets Joshua and this generation apart. In the words of Proverbs 3 or 6, I think it is. He's not leaning on his own understanding, but submitting his ways to the Lord. He's trusting God. And isn't this such a key and helpful insight for us all today? Because if we're honest with ourselves, truly honest with ourselves right now, we could see that so much of what God calls from us doesn't make sense. Think about it. Does it make sense to start your day in prayer? Does it make sense to put your job on the line and be bold about your faith in the workplace, in the school, in the university? Does that make sense? Does it make sense to invest your time and your money and your talent in gospel work? Does it make sense to pray for your enemies? Does it make sense to forgive those who sinned against you? Does it make sense to resist temptation, to deny your body? Does it make sense to be faithful in marriage, to be faithful in singleness? Does it make sense to put your trust not all in this world, but the world that is to come? Does it make sense? To come together with other believers through the week after a long day where all you want to do is slouch on the couch. Does it make sense to come together and talk about life and to pray to one another? Does it make sense to be here right now when you could lie in, enjoy Eggs Benedict over three hours? But to be here, does it make sense to preach Jesus, to worship Jesus, to celebrate Jesus, a crucified king who was spat upon? Does it make sense? No. In the eyes of the world, it is foolish. But God chooses that which is foolish to shame the wise. He chooses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And so even when it feels like you are walking in circles, trust God. Trust his word. Be obedient. Don't just, walk, uh, don't just talk the talk, walk the walk. Second, trust God even when the battle feels beyond you. The writer says, On the seventh day they rose early, at the dawn of day, and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. So here you are, you're walking laps around Jericho. The walls are tall, the gate is shut, the mighty men are on the inside and they're laughing at you. But you keep walking. You keep praying. 
You keep trusting that God is good. God is good. He's faithful to his people. God is good. And on the seventh day, the day of the Lord, the trumpets are blown. And Joshua says, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Uh, Helpful to know for those new to the Bible that the Lord had first announced this promise, this gift of the land in Genesis, a promise given to Abraham. I'm going to give you a land that you might worship me. All the way back to Genesis 12, the Lord appears to him. Uh, The promise is then echoed again in Genesis 12 and then throughout Deuteronomy. And so here in the book of Joshua, we are to feel the certainty of this promise. The promise of God's land is secure. It's there for Israel to see, and it's there for you to enjoy. And yet, right now, there are towering walls of Jericho that are separating them from what God has given and what they now have. In other words, the promise is now, but the promise is also not yet. And I find that this also rings true for our faith today. Uh, In the New Testament, the Lord declares that in Jesus, if you're in Jesus today, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. God hasn't given you a part of his blessing. God is not withholding any good gift from you. No, the Bible promises that in Jesus you have every spiritual blessing. You have the fullness of his salvation. You have the fullness of Christ's righteousness. You have the fullness of God's inheritance. You have the fullness of his love. Every good gift, every blessing is yours in Jesus. But we all know and experience in our faith a Jericho-sized wall that can stand between what we have been given and what we're now walking in. That wall can come in the form of lies. That wall can come in the form of worldly temptation. That wall can come in... The weakness of flesh, that wall can come in the form of spiritual opposition, but there are towering walls that can hold us back from entering the fullness of God's blessing. But what does God say to Joshua? He says, shout, for the Lord has given you the land. Shout, for the Lord has given you his promise. Uh, We had a a, a little men's retreat at Phillip Island. I'm going to hear the men shout. You ready for this? Come on, men. On three, two, one. Here we go. Three, two, one. Yeah, that was good. Way better than I was expecting. Okay, women. You ready? You ready for this? You're going to shout. Count of three. Three, two, one. Oh, there you go. That's how you do it, men. All right, why don't we do this together? You ready? Come on. It's a wake-up moment, mid-preach wake-up moment. (laughs) Ready? Three, two, one. All together now. There you go. That's good. Praise the Lord for that. Here's an idea. What if we were... Yeah, the kids are loving the church today. (laughs) What if we were to quit holding back in life... 
but resolved right now in our heart to step forward this year, trusting God, choosing faith to embrace the fullness of God's blessing that is ours in Christ. Don't let your sin hold you back. Shout, because in Jesus you have his forgiveness. Don't walk in shame. Shout, because in Jesus you have his righteousness. Don't become fixated upon your weaknesses and your insecurities. Shout, because God has made you alive. Don't be tossed around in this world by the approval of this guy or the approval of this girl. Shout, because you are walking in the fullness of God's love. And please, for the love of God, don't be pushed and pulled by worldly temptation and worldly concern, but shout because God has given you himself. This is ours in Jesus. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. The men of Israel shout, and what happens? He says the people shouted, the trumpets were blown, and as soon as the people heard the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. So the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Yeah. Come on. Loving some interaction in church. It's good. It's good. A lot of people ask questions about this. How did the walls actually come down? Physics. Could be physics. One, one theory, Saboho, is that, um, that it was the loudness of the voices. Right? These men shouted so loud, a bit like Cinema 11 today. They shouted so loud. Uh, I actually did some research on this and uh, I actually reached out to uh, Naomi Flatman, who's uh, part of the Melbourne Opera Company. She goes to City on a Hill, uh, Melbourne, uh, travels around uh, singing amazing songs. And I wrote to her, I said, in the history of your operatic career, uh, have you ever sung a song so loud that you saw um, a wall come down? Uh, Unfortunately, she said no. Uh, That would have been awesome for my sermon. Uh, Unless, of course, the point, (laughs) the point of this is not to lift up these voices of these men and how strong they were, but actually that we might lift up God and see how strong he is. Sure, they had to shout. Sure, they did their walking. Sure, Joshua plays a part, but come on. The glory in this moment is with the God who is powerful to save. As Rahab testified to those two spies oh your god he's mighty over heaven and earth he's the one who's powerful and we've already talked about this a bit in that that mic thank you guys who are sharing that that really what we see in the book of joshua is what the power and presence of god did anyone pick up in our reading the references to the ark Time and time again, the writer is underscoring for his readers, and that includes us today, the importance of the ark among the people of Israel. And Joshua did this, and the ark was there, and they went there, and the ark is here. What's the ark? The ark was a visible, uh, tangible uh, sign and symbol for God's presence with Israel. 
If God's presence wasn't with Israel, they could do nothing. I can guarantee you, I don't care how loud they shouted, those walls ain't coming down without the ark. But with the ark, with their trust in God, with their dependence upon him, with the acknowledgement that God is at the center of our community, the center of our lives, that the arms of the Lord are not too short to save. Wow, we can see walls come down. We can see immeasurably more than we could ever think or imagine. I mean, they must have been stunned at that sight. Sometimes we read stories like this and we think to ourselves, man, it would be great if God was among us in that way. (laughs) If God moved like that. You know, actually, when we come to the New Testament, we see something even better. In Jesus, God dwells among his people. John John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's why whenever people were near Jesus, they were conflicted. They were like challenged by his holiness, yet drawn to his power and glory. It's why incredible things happened around Jesus. Did you hear about this guy, Jesus? He laid hands on a blind boy and the kid is now seeing. Yeah, and I I heard that he walked on water. And and there was that moment we were in the field and everyone was hungry and starving and Subway was closed and all this food came and he, he made it and he multiplied it. And you know what's really cool in the Gospels of John, the Gospel of John, right towards the end when his disciples are trying to weigh up what life's going to be like with Jesus no longer there. And what does Jesus do? He breathes on them. And John points out that he was gifting them with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And so all through the New Testament and the writings to the early church, We celebrate the glorious gift that God is not just among us, but for all who are in Jesus, the Spirit resides within us. The same, come on, think about this. The same Spirit that was alive and at work in Israel. The same Spirit that brought down the walls of Jericho. The same spirit that brought down the wall of death on Jesus and rose him to life is right now alive and at work in you. Can I get an amen for that? Come on. I mean, it's not like, don't just think there's some, like the music team get it and maybe I get a little bit of it. You have it in Jesus if you're hungry for it. He wants to give it to you. He's desperate to give it to you. He doesn't want you to lean on your own understanding. He doesn't want you to walk on your own strength. When you go to work this week, when you go to the university this week, when you go, whatever challenge you're going to face this week, man, I'm desperate for you, God. I need you. I'm hungry for you. Without you, I I got nothing. A few tricks, a few this. Oh, but with, with you, I have everything. How many of you have been catching up on the um, stories of revival at Ashbury University? Right? It's been 
huge on my um, uh, social media feed and um, really quite, quite an extraordinary, uh, extraordinary moment. So Ashbury is this small town in um, Kentucky and uh, university, Christian university. And it, I think it's like every Wednesday they have chapel service in their Christian university and probably like six people go to it. And it's probably just like a lot of church services just kind of going through the motions, doing the thing and, and all of that kind of stuff. And maybe it's a little dry, maybe it's a little all those things. But a few weeks ago, something different happened. After the Wednesday chapel service, students did not leave. They were struck I'm I'm quoting it. They were struck by what seemed to be a quiet but powerful sense of transcendence. They stayed and continued to worship. They prayed. They confessed sin. In the hours that followed, more came and the worship continued. In the coming days and weeks, thousands of people poured in from across the state, to see what God was doing, to be part of his blessing. And you know what I love about this story of revival and America needs revival, Australia needs revival. You know what I love about this story, what connects with me personally? It was actually reading about the preacher, the guest speaker who spoke that Wednesday at that first chapel service. Uh, He's uh, Reverend Zach and I really can't pronounce his surname. I think it's Mercreebs. Okay. Uh, Reverend Zach. Guest preacher at the chapel service for that Wednesday morning. And like all preachers, he battles his own nerves. He's facing his own insecurities. He's preaching to a handful of people, trying to say something that brings down a wall of indifference and apathy and hardness of heart. And Zach says that after the chapel service, he leaves the pulpit dejected. He even texts his wife. This was his text message. Later stinker. (laughs) I'll be home soon. Ness, you've had a couple of those texts from me. (laughs) Little did he know what God was doing. The Lord took his ordinary moment and did something extraordinary. They're experiencing now a revival that they say they haven't seen in five decades. Is this not the heartbeat of our God? Is this not the heart and power that we see bursting off the scriptures, inviting us to come on in? Left to ourselves, we do nothing. Oh, you can do something. (laughs) But with God... Man, doesn't that just open up a world of opportunity? Here's a crazy idea. What if you go to God today and pray for a revival of his presence and his power in your life? What if you would go to God today and pray that he would bring down the walls of unbelief that exist in your heart? What if you were to go to God today and pray that he'd bring down that wall of apathy and indifference in your heart today? What if you were to go to God and pray that he would bring down that wall of temptation and sin 
that is stopping you from entering into the fullness of his promise and blessing? What if you were to pray that God would use you to take you to places you've never been, to see things that you thought you would never see, to be someone he's called you to be? This is the power of God. Prayer is our dependence upon him. Lord, I need you. I'm weak. Everything I do in life is mediocre at best. But you are mighty to save. Hmm. I have a third and a final point. But gosh, I have five minutes I'm looking at. All right. Uh, Final point. And this will... We'll move quick. Is that all right? Oh, yeah. All right. Hey, it's, it's not a small one. Trust God even when the world is burning. Easy. Done. <laughs> so there's a tough passage here. 21. It says, Then they devoted all to the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. Oh, so much in me would want to just jump over that text. Uh, I think a lot of churches wouldn't want to would stop before this text. Uh, It's one of these confronting realities that we're seeing, isn't it, Uh, in the book of Joshua. Particular to this time in history, sure, but still difficult for us to swallow. Uh, And that's because Christians, you may know this about Christians, are adverse to violence. You may know that we're um, against death and murder. We're for life. Uh, In fact, Jesus himself said... Uh, The devil's the one who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I've come that you might have what? That's it. Right? He's come that you'd have life. So in what universe can we make sense of a God who not only allows death, but ordains it? Do we now need to pit the Old Testament God against the New Testament? Well, that doesn't work. Uh, I'm not sure there are easy answers for this. I know there definitely isn't quick answers for this. Uh, But this is what I do know. God is slow to anger and abounding in love. We hear this throughout Scripture. I also know that the Lord is opposed to evil. He hates evil. Um, He hates the, uh, the damage that sin and evil and darkness brings to this world and the hurt it makes in people's lives and one of the insights we've discovered throughout this series is that the Canaanites were not innocent bystanders in a battle over land Uh, they were wicked they worshipped demonic gods practiced sorcery uh, gave their flesh over to every form of sexual deviation which included bestiality and incest they sacrificed humans on the altars of their pagan gods and those sacrifices involved adults but also in some cases children What you need to appreciate is that that they're not innocent in this story, that God is raising up Israel as an instrument for his justice. That's a key in understanding this. Deuteronomy chapter 9 says to Israel, the Lord says, it's not because of your righteousness, your integrity that you're going in to take possession of their land, but on account of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers. They are dwelling in sin and God will not turn a blind eye to sin forever. 
He cares too much about his creation. He cares too much about his holiness, his righteousness, his glory. We would never tolerate a judge who excused and ignored sin after sin after sin. God is loving, and in his love, he cares about righteousness and holiness and glory. And so we read in Scripture that the wages of sin is death. Jericho is in sin. They didn't, like the Ninevites, repent. The king could have done that, but you notice in verse 1 that the gates were shut, the heart was hard. And so the justice of God comes on in and comes on down. And you and I should be confronted by that. Because while it is so easy to see ourselves among the people of God coming on in, the truth is all have fallen short of the glory of God. By nature and choice, we sin. We rebel against God. Left to ourselves, we're not among the people of God. Left to ourselves, we're with the king of Jericho, ready to take on these guys. No one seeks God. All have fallen short. All sit under God's wrath. But thanks be to God that amidst his wrath, there is mercy. Amidst his judgment, and there is a judgment, there is salvation. Ban comes up. I want you to note this verse. And we looked at this a few weeks back in chapter 2. But as the city is brought to destruction, Joshua turns to the two spies and says, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her as you swore to her. So the young man who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought her uh, brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. Um, the band comes up and we prepare to worship. Do you remember the story of Rahab? Working on the outskirts of Jericho, a Canaanite woman, her job, a prostitute. She'd sold her life. She's living in sin. And yet in a... <laughs> And yet what we see, we see that God's grace reaches into dark places. God's grace reaches into unlikely people. And in a moment of salvation, she sees the opportunity and she cries out to God for help. God, God is slow to anger, abounding in love. His justice and judgment is real. And if you're here today, walking in sin, walking in apathy towards God, giving yourself over to worldly temptation, you need to know that there is a judgment. Maybe you're experiencing it right now in your life, but I can be sure it is coming. Judgment is coming. But for all who call out to God, for all who look to Jesus, 
the one who went to the cross on our behalf to suffer the judgment that we deserve for all who look at Christ, God's pure and perfect Son, who defeated sin, Satan and death. Through all who look on Him, there is life forevermore. We who are in Jesus need not walk in death anymore. We who are in Jesus need not walk in condemnation, sin or shame because we have the blessing of God, his life, his love for eternity evermore. That is the offer of salvation for you. So don't stand behind those locked walls. Quit clinging to your pride. Know that Jesus has done everything to rescue you, just as he did with Rahab, just as he did with the people of Israel, just as he's doing right now across this world. If you are in Jesus today, oh, would you rejoice? Would you worship in a moment with everything you've got and lift the roof off this cinema in praise to Jesus? If you are not... Yet in Christ, well, today's the day of your decision. You're welcome to join us in song and use that as a testimony of your faith in Christ. If you make that step today, let us know. Jesus calls us to repent, believe, and be baptized. This Easter, people are going to be baptized. They're going to go from death to life. Don't let your opportunity pass. Receive the goodness of God's grace. So we'd love to journey with you in that. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.